Hi, I'm Caroline, a yoga and breathwork teacher with a special interest in menopause based in Edinburgh. And hi, I'm Dr. Claire, a GP and a British Menopause Society specialist based in London. Together we are the Menopause Sisters and we are here to guide and support you through your menopause journey. Welcome to the Menopause Sisters podcast tonight. Um, We're delighted to welcome Dr. Sunila Prasad with us tonight, who is an acupuncturist, but but actually, interestingly, a paediatric doctor by background and believes that both Western and alternative medicine can be complementary. Having completed a three-year diploma in acupuncture, she has gained a deep understanding of the incredible benefit we can gain for our health through appreciating the philosophies in Chinese medicine. She has a special interest in women's health, having completed a BSc in reproductive medicine and has completed additional training in acupuncture, fertility, pregnancy and menopause. Alongside this, and as well as treating patients in her clinic, she lectures at the City College of Acupuncture, passing on her knowledge to future acupuncturists. Thank you, Sonoda, so much for joining us tonight. That's a very busy bio. You're, you've, you've, you've got a lot of... You've got a lot of balls in the air. You're juggling a lot. So welcome. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Um, yeah, real pleasure to be here and discuss acupuncture and menopause and all of, the, all of that stuff. Fantastic. Thank you. I think what I wanted to do was probably launch straight into a little bit about you and mm. about how you found acupuncture, but also a bit about your background in terms of the, the Western medicine, really, because that's an interesting balance, isn't it, between Western and Eastern medicine? Yeah, yeah. I think since I've started uh, my acupuncture business, I think it's the most commonly asked question I've I've had is how did you end up doing this? Um, especially when they've realised I come from a Western medical um, background. Um, so I, I graduated from Imperial College London in um, 2017 um, and went straight into um, foundation training. Um, as you know, uh, it was the first couple of years when you graduate uh, from med school. Um, and I found that I just wasn't really having the um, job satisfaction I expected, which is normal. Um when we first graduate right like it's yeah you're not doing all the uh, fun interesting stuff I did feel that I just what for me personally I wasn't giving the care that I really wanted to give to my patients uh other than you know making sure they were physically okay and then getting them safely yeah. discharged and then uh after a couple of years of working I've found myself working in the pediatric department um and I think it's probably that was the first time since I'd graduated where I felt like I had some kind of home in medicine um I, I loved working with the children I loved speaking to parents but obviously with, with pediatrics um it, the, there are challenges in terms of the a lot of the work is on call work um shift work which I did struggle with night shifts um and also the emotional side of things as well um I'm a bit soft with the little ones. So, um, yeah, that, that took its toll on me over, over a little bit of time as well. But I think I was still yearning for that kind of, um, uh, the word holistic, so we use a lot, but that holistic care that I was, I was trying to give to patients other than just the, the physical aspect of providing care. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of when the, the wheels started turning in my head of thinking, what else can I be doing or how else can I use the skills that I've got as a, as a clinician, as a practitioner, to help people. And that's when I was looked towards um, complementary alternative medicine. And uh, my family are from Kerala, um, so I'm familiar with Ayurvedic medicine. Um, 
there was always a, a lotion or a potion available um, when I was a kid or like a, a rash that no one else knew what to do with. And my dad would whip out this like Ayurvedic cream and put it on me and then the rash would disappear. So I was very open to, you know, non-Western uh, ways of healing. Um, and I remember when I was a teenager, my mum had an acupuncture um, at a well-known clinic in Camden and she'd had the Chinese herbs that were really like strong smelling. I remember the smell of them still. Um, so I, I think from that sense, I it, it was never some uh, concept that I had to be talked into or necessarily was a brand new thing for me. It was, it was just normal mm. um, to accept other other modalities of healthcare um, but when it came to picking what one I was maybe going to study a bit further I ended up choosing um, Chinese medicine just because I thought it's an opportunity to learn something new whereas I always had a bit of knowledge about Ayurvedic medicine um, and so then it was a challenge of figuring out okay well, what do I do in my western medicine job um, like what does this mean for that um, and so as a compromise also I was doing my course it was a three-year diploma two days a week so it was pretty full-on um, mm-hmm. I locumed um, at the same time um, so I was still keeping my foot in both worlds really and it was only really when I graduated from my acupuncture course this July that I thought okay I'm just going to try and give this a proper go so um, I've put my uh, NHS job on, on pause. I've still got my license and um, to practice and my registration. Um, so that's there for me. But I kind of felt that pull really to go all in um, with my acupuncture business. Um, I, well, I think maybe it's part of my personality in terms of just going all in anyway. <laughs> like I don't do things by heart. If I want to do something well, I like I put 100% into it. So um, yeah, that's where, yeah, that's how I got to this stage. <laughs> I'm quite fascinated by that background as well because. You know, you were brought up with that kind of holistic approach. We were mm. as well. Our mother's, well, our grandmother was from Kerala. And actually, oh. we, we grew up with all sorts of Nelson's remedies, which our mother still swears <laughs> by and homeopathy. So I think it's really interesting, you know, when that, that's yeah. there for you. There's this kind mm. of maybe niggling in the background going, well, yeah, I know that worked. So maybe I need yeah. And interesting, you picked traditional Chinese medicine as well, the Ayurveda. And how much did you know about acupuncture? I mean, you, you mentioned your your mum mm. and had, it obviously helped her in in uh, been beneficial. Had yeah. you had it yourself before you started down this path? Yes, um, I, not a lot, I'd say, but I'd had um, uh, some experience of it um, during university. Um, for sort of stress basically <laughs> very stressful studying medicine as Claire will know um I rem- my my specific memory was of um seeing a practitioner um and she looked at my tongue and she was in and felt my pulse and was basically said you're an anxious person <laughs> you need to calm down <laughs> I was like yeah <laughs> how did you know this <laughs> but what's so interesting about Chinese medicine is and what I have learned now is it's so much about observation and it's the same with Western medicine. Claire will, will, will agree. Like there's so much about seeing a patient and thinking from a Western point of view, are they well or unwell? And then you go from there. Um, but there's so many visual cues you can pick up. But yeah, that's that's the kind of memory I had in my mind of this form of medicine that has so much history behind it and wisdom. Um, and I think I was able to appreciate that because I'm familiar with Ayurvedic medicine and um funnily enough there are a few overlaps in the philosophies they have so in a way it's I don't see necessarily as too distinct um from Ayurvedic medicine and in the fact that they're both ancient uh traditions and have so much wisdom in them it was a case of me being greedy and wanting to learn even more about something else (laughs) 
And I suppose with Ayurvedic medicine, we often talk about it as being kind of the medicine side of yoga, but we're talking about, you know, let's say different systems. So they talk about nadis and energy channels in Ayurveda, yeah. don't they? And, and obviously, yeah. you talk about the meridians. So maybe you can give us a little overview of, of actually what acupuncture is mm-hmm. and kind of energy channels that, that and the system it works with. Yes. So, um, again, this is another question that I'm asked quite a lot and I change my answer slightly depending on who I'm speaking to. Um, And it's interesting because I've got yourself from a yoga background here and I've got Claire from a Western medicine background. And that's essentially how my answers sometimes differ. (laughs) But if I was to start from um, the Chinese medicine point of view, uh, it's based on uh, the principle of moving chi so chi represents energy and uh, everything is made up of chi tangible or intangible Um, and what the needles do essentially we're trying to manipulate or change the flow of chi and disease happens when there's an uh, abnormality or pathology in the way chi is flowing Um, and that's like a very sort of simple overview there are other components like people may be familiar with yin and yang there's other principles like jing which is known as our essence and that's very um uh, pertinent to something like menopause but yeah there's lots of other different components but essentially what we're trying to do when we stick needles in someone with acupuncture is we're going along those energy channels those meridians and saying the energy is flowing this way but i want you to flow in a slightly different way or do something slightly different and it's probably worth noting that when we talk about needles here they're very small thin needles aren't Super they thin. <laughs> yeah, yeah um about 0.2 millimeters <laughs> yeah of width just from that um yeah you know when i've had patients who i recommend acupuncture for mm. many of them are quite needle phobic um yeah or you know they're worried um mm. so you know what i guess we're jumping we're jumping to another topic here but i just wanted to okay. know you know yeah. what, what can they expect and what would you say to someone who's slightly anxious about having treatment in the first place um so it's really interesting you ask that because um, my patient i had today in the afternoon um whenever she has to get she's so she's in her mid-40s and has always had a problem with blood tests and by problem um she says she has to have embla which is the numbing cream that patients have before blood tests she has to bring meditative music with her um she tells the phlebotomist by the way i will be swearing when you do put a needle in me um but i don't mean this it's just a involuntary response because they absolutely hate needles but she comes to me for acupuncture and she's had acupuncture before um and the reason being is she just sees it as a completely different um uh, inter- style of intervention and and with people who are needle, needle phobic um there are ways of managing it so number one it's reassurance and tell and showing them the needles showing just how thin they are also being honest and saying that there is a, a little bit of sharpness when the needle goes in um Claire you'll be familiar when we give a blood test to someone we say sharp scratch and it's really not a scratch is it it's like you're taking someone with a needle <laughs> so I found it funny that we tell patients that but with um with the acupuncture needles I when I put the needle in at the beginning I say sharp tap because it does feel like a sharp tap mm. um and once the needle goes in actually for a lot of patients they don't feel anything for some patients they have um what we refer to in Chinese medicine as dachi so it's a sensation that some patients feel like a heaviness or a dull ache, a bit of tingling, um, which indicates that the needle is kind of actually doing something and moving the chi around. And some most of the time patients really enjoy that because they feel that the needles are doing something. So really, it's just a case of reassurance. And I think 
I guess in a sense it's a bit self-selective in that way that the people who are kind of willing to take that risk um and kind of put them put, put the sort of mind over matter come through the door whereas I guess in the NHS they don't have much of a choice do they <laughs> most of the time um, when they're sent for investigations yeah no absolutely and I know I know we're going to focus on menopause in a moment but just Again, on that note, I wanted to pick something up. Um, mm. So I I had terrible morning sickness with both my children. I mean, debilitating sickness yeah. through everything. And as a last resort, mm. I tried acupuncture. Mm. I, I guess I was a little bit close-minded. So I wouldn't say I went there thinking this was going to help, but I, it, was, mm. it was actually incredible. So that kind of needle tap that you described. Yeah. And- sensation you got from that yeah just I, I mean I can't describe it was bizarre it was really yeah. odd but I definitely felt it and it definitely worked it definitely Amazing. worked yeah which is incredible actually because it then makes you think of how effective it could be for a whole host of conditions really doesn't 100%. it yeah, definitely. And um, what you said there is, you know, as a patient, from a patient perspective, you went to it as a last resort. Mm. And I guess part of my mission um, with my acupuncture business is, and being placed uniquely as someone who's had a Western medicine background, is allowing patients to see or empowering them to see that um, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um it can be in tandem and side by side and, and lovely practitioners such as yourself who are, who are telling patients, oh, have you tried, you can try this, you can try that. Um, that's kind of what we need a little bit more of because there are, you know, patients do want to make a change for themselves and it's not that just they're wanting the, their doctor to blindly prescribe the medication and not do any work for themselves. They're, they're wanting to make changes themselves and acupuncture is just one of the many things that they can really used to empower themselves in their own health journey and i and i think it is really really effective i mean i I think having another tool in your box to use um Mm. from a holistic perspective is really important isn't it because i think what we yes kind of thinking about the menopause and thinking about how what there's a lot of out there at the moment is hrt is this magic bullet and it's the Mm. go-to um and it is for many women, but then it leaves behind a group of women that perhaps don't want to take it or who we can't. And they're yeah. feeling sort of slightly out of the loop. And, and I, I sense that there's a, a growing number of women that perhaps don't necessarily want to use HRT, which is absolutely fine. Yeah. yeah. So having, having acupuncture there, which obviously for us as a British Menopause Society specialist mm. is there and is listed as, as a therapy. Yeah. So helpful, isn't it? Definitely. And um, I th- yeah, I think it's just about um, that awareness that there are options. And, you know, if, um, so one of my patients earlier this week who um, is experiencing um, menopause, she wanted HRT, but was struggling with her GP to, to access it. Um, and there is a huge disparity, isn't there, Claire? You'll know from just practice to practice and what prescribing policies are and um it's almost a bit of a postcode lottery so i think um having that option there just allows women to see that oh there is something else that can be done mm. but what's really interesting is with with chinese medicine acupuncture in particular is how it's how menopause is viewed um within chinese medicine because it's actually viewed in such a positive way it's known as the second spring 
um, the first being when we enter um, puberty and start having periods. Um, but when we enter into uh, the menopausal phase, it's a second spring. And I came across this lovely quote. I can't remember where I um, where I read it, but it said, um, it's the opportunity to um, flower your feminine potential, that second that second spring of life. And that's a huge part of the, the Chinese culture. It's a woman has then really encouraged after spending you know traditionally uh, a lifetime looking after others and being a caregiver for others she's then encouraged by society to actually look after herself which is a very um maybe alien concept for a lot of people in the uk for women in the uk and actually you'll, you'll find that kind of common thread in lots of lots of eastern cultures is after women give birth and when they go through menopause the, the female is nurtured almost as much as the baby or they're nurtured even more when they go through the menopause and so seeing it as like a thing not to be managed but to be to help them thrive uh, in that that stage of life is, is the focus of acupuncture whereas maybe hrt is kind of maybe viewed in, in some respects as, as a, a plaster or a coping mechanism um but again necessary or needed for lots of patients i love yeah. that term second spring actually kate croddington's named her book second spring didn't she when she wrote about she's written a, a menopause book we interviewed her mm. last year and actually i've just named a, a, men, a menopause workshop i'm doing up here in uh, in edinburgh federal college exactly that because they're looking for mm. kind of all day and she and they said can you make it joyful i said well let's call it second spring like they do in the far east and i think there's yeah. that freedom you have postmenopausally because you, you're not getting periods and so suddenly there's a little bit of a lift there um mm. there's a freedom yeah. you know traditionally if you have been the kind of caregiver of the family then that's that, that suddenly that kind of relinquishing of that role and being able to be able to have the freedom for yourself and grow i'm quite intrigued by some of the patients you might yeah. see you know, you know from a menopause perspective the symptoms that, mm. that you found yeah able to be treated with the acupuncture you you give yes so most commonly um uh hot flushes um would be one of the main symptoms i see um and the others are more to do with kind of mental emotional symptoms so stress anxiety um a lot of brain fog um muzzy kind of feeling um in chinese medicine it's known as uh, dampness <laughs> if you can imagine like sluggish chi just like trying to like just whirling around your brain um so the, those aspects i see more of than anything else um and, and which there's a lot of evidence based behind from a western point of view for um there's lots of studies that have been done to help with those kind of symptoms but from a chinese medicine perspective it's, it's so effective um in kind of tuning in mind body spirit um, and getting to the core of why a patient's experiencing those symptoms. And I know from a yin yoga perspective, as a yin yoga teacher as well, we, you know, we work with traditional mm. medicine, the religions, that's, that's kind of what it's based around. So, you know, if I'm, I'm guiding somebody through, um, like, like you mentioned, kind of emotional, that kind of maybe sense of being a bit fed up or lost or low mood mm-hmm. or um, sort of angry or, you know, yeah. and, heart being that center of the emotion the lungs so i tend to kind of guide through the heart and lung meridian and and is that something that's ha- you know is that what you're thinking about when you're thinking about the meridians when you're thinking about delivering the acupuncture you're thinking mm. about you know where, where the chi is stuck and, and which meridians yes. or which areas it's stuck in yes so um i'd say from a chinese medicine perspective the, the common kind of pathologies that we see in terms of the meridians are to do with the kidneys um, so the kidneys in Chinese medicine um, store what I mentioned before, Jing, our essence. And as we get older, a normal uh, physiological process is f- 
for our gin to deplete, for it to diminish. Um, and unfortunately, it's something that we can't uh, just boost back with needles, but it's something that can be kind of supported and and nourished in a, little, in, a, in a sense. So the kidney channel is one of the main channels that we look at. Liver is another one. So the liver um, ensures a smooth direction of chi in every so a smooth flow of cheese are in every direction. And it's also one of the organs that's associated with emotions like stress, frustration and anger. Um, but the general principles of uh, yin and yang are actually quite fundamental as well. So typically someone who's experiencing hot flushes, for example, it's sometimes due to uh, a yin deficiency. Um, so yin, you can imagine, is something that kind of anchors things down. Um, and when you don't have as much yin, um, there can be this uh, tendency for heat to flare up because it's not being anchored down near the kidneys, which are our life force. Um, and so that's really like a common example, I'd say, of someone that comes through the door. Um, and what you can see instantly in the tongue um, is, and usually the, the tongue is a shortcut to seeing what's going on, is a very typical, what I'd say, yin tongue, where it's slightly dry, there's peeled sides, um, cr- usually a crack in the middle, and you can kind of instantly see uh, that's where I'm where I'm heading my diagnosis towards. But again, one of the things that you will have come across in your practice, um, but what's lovely about Chinese medicine is specific to each person. More often than not, after I do like a, a very detailed uh, history taking at the beginning, putting all the pieces together, marrying up with the tongue and pulse diagnosis and no one size fits all definitely. So even if one person from the next has a similar diagnosis, the points I may use or even the approach I may use might be different. I think it's actually fascinating because I know with with Ayurveda, I can sort of look at someone and go, they're more vata, pitta, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. these are the doshas in in Ayurvedic um, systems. So you're kind of usually made up of two and they're they're thought of as constitutions. Um, Mm. Mentioning anxiety earlier, I was thinking, oh, quite vata probably. um, Yeah, yeah. Heaviness would be quite kapha. Um, yes. And it's very similar in traditional Chinese medicine, although it's a very different system. I'm always amazed at the similarities. And some oh, of yeah. one, I think yin and yang is, is quite an interesting concept for a lot of people because they mm. can maybe imagine that kind of black and white symbol. That's yes. yeah. See, there's a bit of yin and everything, there's a bit of yang and everything. But yeah. force. And I suppose they're opposites, aren't they? And it's finding that balance between them. I often sort of say, say, moon and sun. Are, are there any sort of. Yeah you can use to describe what you mean by yin and yang um so when i'm talking to my patients about it i i try and use um like the connotations that i was taught in in acupuncture college so yin is kind of seen as more um condensed cold it's to do with fluid water um more contracted whereas yang is more uh, kind of if you imagine a sun ray like rays bursting out um, it's kind of the movement behind energy and it's more associated with warm with heat um, but what's key is as you said already there's a bit of yin and a bit of yang and everything is it's a as that symbol um, kind of represents it's white and black but then there's spots of white and black in, in each other part and you can't have one without the other and when someone has a excess or a deficiency in one or the other it's relative it's not an absolute excess or a deficiency or it rarely is it's relative to each other and i, I mean i guess people ha- 
colloquially would say um refer to it maybe people who are opposites in relationships like yin and yang like uh in my so i'm yang and my husband's yin very much in that relationship um the other acupuncturist that works at moon um where claire has worked previously she's got a yang vibe to her i'm yin so you know i'm yin, both yin and yang but in different contexts it's it's all relative to the other to the other entity that you're, you're dealing with and i love i love the fact that you mentioned individualizing your treatments mm. uh, because i think as you'll know in western medicine we try with hrt to try and individualize that as much as possible and as definitely mm-hmm size fits all and we know that HRT isn't a blanket yes it's going to work it's going to make us feel much better but we have to individualize it and we have to take into consideration lifestyle and diet and everything that you've mentioned and I guess one of the things that we're really keen to get across is it's not either or is it you don't have to between treatments these can work alongside each other and they can and they can complement each other quite well. Definitely. So, I mean, a couple of the patients that I do see um, with menopausal symptoms who are on HRT, they might get side effects from some of the medications that they're using. And so acupuncture can help with that too. So they're needing the HRT on, on one sense, and then they're having the acupuncture to manage the, the medication. But also the acupuncture itself can help with the symptoms that they're experiencing to begin with so yeah yeah we keep coming back to this don't we that it's it doesn't have to be one or the other it can kind of work as a yin and yang treatment so you've got maybe if we considered uh, western medicine to be the yin entity and yang to be the acupuncture you know that can work lovely really in a lovely way together i'm quite intrigued as well by the autonomic nervous system syndrome i wonder if that tunes in your medical background, kind of Western medical background with acupuncture, because I always think, you know, you mentioned the kidneys being quite a, a sort of hub, as it were, in acupuncture. And yeah. I think about the adrenal glands sitting on top of there. <laughs> and mm. then autonomic nervous system, that lovely dance between parasympathetic and sympathetic, mm. something that's kind of rest and digest and more active and, and that yin and yang and just this kind of balance around that. And I, I wonder if you see that in your practice, you know, with your medical head on, with your kind of Western science head on, you know, what you see around that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, the patients I'm seeing um, in acupuncture, they're on that fight mode. So <laughs> the that their sympathetic nervous systems are a little bit on overdrive and more often than not just the practice of them lying down on the, the, the acupuncture bed and having an hour to themselves like do I need to stick any needles here I'm not sure I think you just needed to lie down like, <laughs> some deep breathing some relaxing music in the background um but no the, need, the needles do help um and actually um Within acupuncture, I'm not sure if you've come across auricular acupuncture, so acupuncture needles in the ears. So um, the most, I guess, commonly um, used form of auricular acupuncture is a protocol called the NADA protocol, very well established in the US and also um, in the UK for um, people who are suffering with um, any kind of addiction or drug abuse. Um, And there's a set of five points on the ear called the NADA protocol that are used um, across a a course of treatments that help people with with those addictions. But what's really interesting with the auricular um, acupuncture system is it's very much much based around the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system and people can have very strong reactions to having um, auricular acupuncture like almost instantly it's not a, a, an area that I've um, explored too deeply yet me being me I'll 
learn it at some point. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's something that's really interesting with acupuncture and, and the, that kind of fight and flight system. That's really interesting because I know that I do, I do some uh, long COVID work as well, my, as well as my menopause work and um, self-massage of the ear, particularly connecting mm. to the vagus nerve and so therefore yeah. to the autonomic nervous system. So that's yeah. really interesting hear about the um, auricular acupuncture because I don't know much about it yeah definitely I mean there's so much with Chinese medicine that you can kind of just I mean I've just done one three-year course and I've barely scratched the surface yeah the scope for acupuncture in all sorts of different conditions and different types of populations it's used in the pediatric population as well which a lot of people don't aren't aware of um so I've had a few um, little ones come into my clinic um which is like really lovely because it can I connects me back to my old job but yeah it's it's a bit mind-blowing isn't it and all the different ways that we can apply it and and learn about it yeah absolutely and and even just coming down to those symptoms you were describing you know Mm. that brain fog and anxiety perhaps and hot flushes Mm. Mm. one of the things that we commonly see is migraines a change in migraines and I just wondered is acupuncture something that can help with that if if you're kind of suffering from those migraines which are, 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 are you know due to your fluctuating hormones potentially yeah so um in terms of migraines there are a few chinese medicine patterns or, or diagnosis that are quite commonly associated with it mm-hmm. um the main one um being um a term called liver liver yang rising um, and this has to do with that kidney yin imbalance mm-hmm. so when you've got a deficiency of your kidney yin the uh, yang isn't anchored anymore and so it's kind of rushing up to the head the head causing those migraine symptoms and it's typically uh, on the side of the of the uh, head temporal region just just on the side of your eyes a really strong throbbing pain um, a lot of patients describe to me um but what's interesting is that there's, there's a very strong emotional aspect to those migraines um triggered with uh frustration sadness um which aren't typical i think maybe with migraines i experience in other other phases of life um so again it depends on the patient they may not have this this particular diagnosis but um if i'm trying to work backwards i'll find out what the the root cause is so really um a good principle to kind of understand with chinese medicine is something called the bian and biao which are translated as the root and branches of of disease mm. so uh, a label uh, or a, a kind of box such as menopause is a is a diagnosis in Western medicine. But in Chinese medicine, what you'd be thinking about is what are the symptoms that are showing on the outside, so i.e. what are the branches, but what are the pathologies or what are the, the patterns underlying that have led that person to be vulnerable to those particular symptoms. Um, and this isn't necessarily that's something that's happened over like a short period of time. It's often a course of events over a whole lifetime that have led to these these kind of vulnerabilities within a person's constitution that then leads them to be prone to symptoms. And that's why not every person gets the same set of symptoms. Menopause, as you've come across, is experienced so differently across people across um, women who've gone through it. Some are fine, some are not fine. Um, and that's all because of who they are as a person, not that they've done anything wrong or that they're weaker in any way. It's just the life that they've experienced and, and what they've been, been made vulnerable to in terms of those symptoms. And so my job as a Chinese medicine practitioner is to think, OK, what are the, the causative factors that have led to these 
underlying imbalances in yin, yang, their jing, their essence, um, and how can I address that rebalance, but also just help them make them feel better at the same time. So um, that's kind of the approach that, that I take often. Um, so something like migraines, there's there can be so many different <laughs> reasons why that one person is having it. It's yeah. multi-layered, isn't it? It's that idea, yeah. um, you know, the kind of, the storing, it sounds like, you know, there's, it, often you're sort of releasing something by shifting their chi and shifting any blockages because there's that sense of perhaps storing of emotions or layers that you've just mm. been talking about, you know, going down to the roots from the branches and, and, and finding out, you know, what the pathway has been. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's again, tying back to appreciating that a person is, is more than just one thing. They're made, they are made up of layers. It's, it is mind, body and spirit. And, um, you know, with Western medicine, what we're kind of addressing or what can tend to happen is we're addressing the, the body, the physical aspect of things. And I think what helps really with acupuncture is tying everything together and, again, treating that person as a as a whole being holistically, looking at it from a 360 point, point of view and not being... Um, afraid to really dig into those layers and and holding the patient through that um and allowing them to to ex- to experience um what comes with unblocking that 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 chi and 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 going through that process um because as with lots of treatments acupuncture isn't a linear a linear thing sometimes you feel worse before you feel better and if you're having a course of treatments it's really kind of just sticking with it and holding the patient through that experience yeah and I guess following from that Lilla, what can people expect from treatment so you mentioned you may feel a little bit worse or you may not that linear process what can people expect um so I guess from um again it depends from condition to condition yeah. if maybe if we're thinking about menopause um, as a as a focus so um if for example they were coming for the more kind of mental emotional symptoms um what I would always tell patients um like up front is that acupuncture isn't something that's a kind of a quick fix lots of patients do feel better after one treatment which is amazing but for treatments to kind of have a long lasting effect with the way acupuncture works best is with kind of frequency and consistency at the beginning at the very least and that's individual to each patient so it could be once a week could be once every couple of weeks really depends on them and how they respond and then once you're kind of seeing or the patient is feeling the changes within themselves that they they're kind of looking for then you can kind of move on to what's termed as maintenance treatment so maybe once a month or as the patient wants but typically what a a session involves for those who you know haven't had acupuncture before if you're seeing an acupuncturist for the first time typically what they'll do is they'll take a history from you quite a detailed one and they'll be asking all sorts of things from sleep to digestion to um toileting habits to everything um because they are putting lots of pieces of a puzzle together. Um, And then they will have come up with a Chinese medicine diagnosis and then what's known as a a point to prescription. And different practitioners work differently and also there are different schools of acupuncture. So I've come from a traditional Chinese medicine background. There's also something called a five element background and there's also Japanese system as well. 
So you may find, depending on the acupuncturist that you come across, that they just work slightly differently. But essentially, that's the main like building blocks of what treatment will involve. Yeah, and then each practitioner will, will have their own way of, of managing a, an overarching treatment plan. Thank you. That's really, really helpful just to give an idea to our listeners just what to expect if they're fairly new to acupuncture as a treatment. And I guess just thinking about wrapping up, because we could talk to you for hours, but in terms of acupuncture, and this could be absolutely anything at all, specifically, I guess, to menopause, perimenopause, what Mm. can you think of three top tips that you would advise women about in terms of acupuncture, in terms of how potentially to find a registered specialist? How do you know who to trust? You know, are there any top tips that you can give us? Yeah, uh, as I said, there's, um, uh, I was trained at City College of Acupuncture. So that's one of the, it's the only acupuncture college in London, but there are a few main acupuncture colleges in the UK. And I'd say the majority of acupuncturists register with the British Acupuncture Council. So the equivalent for us uh, from a Western medicine background is the General, General Medical Council. So once we graduate, we are obliged to register with that council and they uphold our professional uh, values and uh, ethical values and all of that kind of thing so doctors are, are mandated to have that um, acupuncturists aren't they don't have to necessarily be with the british acupuncture council but most more often than not they are with an accredited council so i'm i'm with the british acupuncture council there are other councils that exist um, but what's great about the british acupuncture council is they have a directory on there mm-hmm. um, and so you can type in your postcode and you can find an acupuncturist within a certain mile radius for me personally how I find any service or someone that I'm going to, I'm kind of willing to trust with my health or with my well-being. I guess word of mouth is uh, an ideal route. The caveat being that, uh, you know, if you have a, a best friend who's recommended an acupuncturist, for example, and it's worked really well for them, there's not a guarantee necessarily that that same acupuncturist is going to be the right fit for you as well. So what I tell a lot of my patients is, you know, if, if for whatever reason um, you feel that your treatments aren't working, it may be that uh, I have to adjust my, my point prescription, but also it may be that I'm not the, the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the huge part of the therapeutic uh, kind of effect of treatments is the practitioner themselves um, and their approach. So I think really empowering yourself just to kind of realise what you're uh, wanting out of treatment and wanting out of practitioners is important. So, um, you know, acupuncture treatments in the UK, you have to pay for privately. And I think it's okay to go to someone, have one or two treatments with them and think, actually, you know what, I, I think I like acupuncture. I'm not sure this this therapist is the right fit for me. And that's more than okay. And I guess the other thing is Google reviews. I guess, you know, not as many people, it's hard to get people to do Google reviews, I found as a practitioner, but they'll say they'll do it, but they don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess for me, as, a, as someone who... Uh, has had, had acupuncture myself and uh, seen sorts of other practitioners in other fields i will look at their, their, their website um i'll look at their um google page and also speaking to them before you book as well so i always have an option for a discovery call and make sure the, the patient knows you you're not obliged to book with me you speak with me if you just want to know about acupuncture that's fine so i guess the common theme throughout what i'm saying is patient empowerment like feeling like you are taking control of it in your own hands, asking all the questions you want to ask. And you know, if they are the right fit for you, like that, that practitioner, they'll, they'll happily answer all those questions. Um, and that really leads to the best treatment outcomes. 
Fantastic. And where can we find information about you, Sina, as well? Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm on Instagram uh, at sp.acupuncture um, and I've got my website, which is www.spacupuncture.org or people can just email me. So it's sinilap.acu at gmail.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Sinilla. It's been really interesting to talk to you. Yeah, there's so much more we could talk about, right? <laughs> We've scratched the surface, guys. <laughs> yeah, we might have to do a mini-series, Sinilla. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm up for that. 